Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist and the host of this podcast, From Crisis to Connection. This is a podcast about relationships, the relationships with others, of course, but also the relationship with ourselves and the relationship with our higher power. I believe we experience our deepest joys when we're in harmony with these relationships. But when we lose that connection to ourselves and others through our own unhealthy behaviors like addictions, infidelity, secrecy, abuse, and so on, or we lose it by being betrayed by someone else's choices, it throws us into crisis. Getting out of crisis and living in connection isn't always straightforward or easy, but it is possible. And that's why every week I bring you incredible guests who share their life experiences and expertise to help you move from crisis to connection. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. My guest today is Vonna Davis. She is the founder of Reach 10, a nonprofit organization that was created to help young adults, 18 to 30 specifically, married or single, be able to come together and change the conversation around internet pornography, healthy sexuality, all these things that have been difficult for previous generations to talk about in healthy ways. Young adults have grown up with easy access to internet pornography and they are now the ones living with so many of the consequences. And I know we know, of course, that pornography causes serious problems in people's lives and relationships. And unfortunately, sometimes the way we handle this issue can make problems worse than actually solve them. And so Vana started Reach 10 with a group of young adults to help foster real connection, open communication, strong relationships, to overcome the shame and the silence and the fear that keep people from speaking up about this and keeps them stuck in pornography. So many of us know that pornography is a problem and so many of us know that it's creating consequences in people's lives. And we also know that a lot of people want to get out of it. But the real question is, well, how? What do we do next? And so in Reach 10, they share real experiences, practical ideas for both how to talk about these hard issues and also how to build healthy relationships. Vonna Davis was the executive director for the Utah Coalition Against Pornography for a number of years. That's where I first met her. And she also is on the board of, or the, she's, on the, she's the chair for the Safeguard Alliance, and she works with the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. And she's also the outreach and education coordinator for Protect Young Minds. And so she is a leader on this issue. She is frequently contacted by young people and others to speak on these issues. And she's just a fantastic facilitator and one of those multipliers who tries to give people voices and expand the reach and make a bigger impact. So she's just a great resource. And I'm just thrilled to have her on the podcast today to talk about her experience in forming Reach 10, but also giving more voice to these young people and their experiences and how we can best support them and also learn and grow all together as we work to reduce the shame and the silence around these issues. Here's my interview with Vonna Davis from Reach 10. 
Hi there, Vana. Welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you here. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. Jeff. Thanks for accepting yeah. the invitation. I, I'm excited today to talk about young people, young adults, and really the great work that you're doing in Reach 10 to support young people. And also, like you said, I, I read this on your website, to really develop a new generation of leaders and you know people who are going to be going out in their families and communities and, and really changing the dialogue around pornography and shame and, and addiction and these kinds of things. And I just, I love that, that this is something that you're intentionally and actively doing instead of just kind of generically talking about it. It's very targeted toward this age group. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. So exciting. So just in way of introduction for our listeners, you know, I introduced you a little bit in the introduction about who you are and kind of your background, but I'd love to hear specifically what the genesis of this Reach 10 effort is and why you felt called to do it and really just what it's about so that our listeners can understand who you are and what you guys are doing. I was, as you probably mentioned, director of Utah Coalition Against Pornography for about five years. And because I was in that role, I would have these awesome young adults reach out to me and say, I want to get involved in this. This really is important to me. And I couldn't find much for them to do, but volunteer at our conference once a year. Hmm. And I just had a real heart for young adults. My own kids were growing up. I had, I have four grown up kids now and have seen how pornography has affected them and their whole generation. So I was kept thinking, what are we doing for young adults? Because here they are, they're at this time in their life, they're making these big decisions that are going to affect their whole life, right? And they have more freedom. They've left home. They're learning to manage their own life. They're making decisions about personal integrity, about dating, about marriage, about how they're going to be involved spiritually and what that's going to mean to them. And pornography is affecting all of that. Like literally all of their generation has been impacted by pornography in some way. And I just wanted them to go forward in their lives free from the problems of pornography that we see. Why not start younger Yeah, <laughs> and not wait until they're in the therapist's office and the wife and the husband are in, you know, ex- have their lives have exploded together. Yeah, like really so, moving, yeah. like really moving the messaging way upstream. I mean, we obviously try mm-hmm. and talk to kids and I know you're involved with Protect Young Minds and there's a lot of organizations out there trying to teach parents how to educate their young children. But, but there comes a point where the conversations become more complex with relationships and right. adult decisions, things that kids, mm-hmm. you know, as they transition into adulthood have to navigate and wrestle with. And and this is really a chance to give them language and, and you know, permission and resources and tools and, and stuff to help them figure out how to, you know, how to undo the impact of pornography and also mm-hmm. confront it. So like, that's yeah. essentially like, it's like coming to them in their specific needs instead of just a general all around pornography is bad message, right? Right. Yes. And so I gathered some of these young adults and we started meeting together trying to figure out what to do. And um, knew we were going to create some kind of an organization, and I just did a lot of listening. Mm. And I, I remember in one meeting, one of these young men stood up and said, "We know porn is bad. Now what?" <laughs> and that has really been the foundation of like what our mission is. Like yeah. we, we are not out to convince young adults that it's a problem. We're working with the ones who already know it's a problem because they're in it, and they have values that they've adopted and that pornography is, you know, not 
in line with their values. But like, okay, so now what? Now what do we do? And how do we support our friends or, you know, all these issues with dating and, and relationships and talking about it? So we, so even this is kind of funny, but like we had to come up with a name for what we were going to do an organization. Right. Of course. <laughs> and we spent four months like generating ideas and talking about it and finally came up with Reach 10. And people always ask what that means, but it means that one person can make a difference just by reaching out to 10 people. Like if every person just would like start these conversations compassionately and openly with 10 people, like that ripple effect would change the culture. It can be very small, you know? Yeah. And I, one small person. And that, that invitation came, wasn't that Pamela Atkinson's at the end of every Utah Mm -hmm. Coalition conference? Yes. We'd be sitting there. I always say, yeah. Yeah, go talk to five people. Five, go yeah. share this message with five people. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. We'd sit there, and there's you know two thousand people sitting there in this giant conference room, and you mm-hmm. know there's thousands and thousands more that need to hear these messages. And so that was a very direct invitation. And so I love that you guys doubled it, made it reach ten, not just yeah. five. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a fairly easy goal. Yeah, that can truly make a difference. So we actually became a nonprofit. Mm. And so what's the now what, right? Where right. we decided that the first step that young adults have to get through is being able to talk about pornography. We cannot change anything until we can talk about it. So we are all about communication and doing that in a compassionate way, talking openly. Connection is a big part of our message because they're so isolated and, and stuck in shame about this and like, that connection and finding out there are people who care, who also are in the same situation as you or who want to help you and still love you. <laughs> That's, that can be so healing. So we know that like communication and connection are not the whole answer, but they are the first step. And so we're trying to get them to take that first step and again, create a new culture where they can talk openly about this. And it's not, there's not so much stigma about it so that they can go on and help each other and get help get the help they need. Yeah, I love that. And I I love how clear the message is. I know on your website it says connection is the real anti-porn. Right. Uh, and I think it's so so clear to give people a place to start. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when when you're exposed to pornography, when you're struggling with something that's so secretive and shameful at least in, you know, some circles, some cultures, then you don't really know where to start. It all feels so complicated, but if you just have yeah. this this one invitation just to open up and and a promise attached to that which basically says you will have a good experience with this when you talk about it. Right. And so, and I'm so glad you said that because like there's two people in a conversation yeah. and like we want people to open up and like share, be vulnerable, but we also want the people on the other side to be prepared to yes. respond with love and patience as hard as it might be. Also being, I mean, both sides need to be accepting of each party's feelings, but we can share those feelings in a way that continues the conversation right. sort of shuts it down right right yeah i love that and i i know that when you're you know an individual like a single person and you've not necessarily betrayed mm-hmm. or your spouse or your partner then opening up to other people is certainly emotionally less risky mm-hmm. you know talking to someone yeah. like a parent or a friend or a church leader is a lot less risky emotionally than it is opening up to someone you've directly betrayed <laughs> Right. That right. is a different relationship. And we really try to make that distinction, yeah. you know, and be 
very understanding of everybody's feelings and and how that's going to play out. Yeah, but the um, but the solution's yeah. the same. The opening up doesn't change mm-hmm. because you're right. Right, it's the same thing. It may <laughs> it may require some more training or education or finesse in terms of you know timing and how to do it and what to say and where to go with it. But ultimately, the answer is the same. The openness mm-hmm. has to lead. Yeah, yeah. We like to say that human connection is one of the greatest casualties of pornography. Yeah, but it's also the greatest remedy. Mm-hmm. So pornography is just perfectly designed to disconnect people. And that's how it keeps people stuck there. Yeah, no So we have kidding. to get past that. Yeah, no kidding. So when you guys all met together, and I, I love that it took you all this time to come up with a name. <laughs> I mean, I, I would love to see a list of all the ones you didn't choose, right? There's probably so right. much. There's It's probably so instructive. Pages and pages. <laughs> <laughs> there's probably some great ideas in there. But, but as far as where you guys went as an organization... The whole purpose was to, you know, start this this movement of making it easier and safer and 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 giving people resources and tools to talk and, and know what to say and how to react and respond and like we're talking about. Where did you guys take it from there? Because that can feel pretty vague, right? Just like yeah, like how do we do this? Yeah, right? now what? Right. <laughs> so what did you do? Yeah. So for a couple of years we had in person meetings, but about a year and a half ago we have a nonprofit, so we have a board, and they advised me about a year ago to start a podcast because we'd be able to reach so many more young adults than with workshops, which is what we were doing. That has been a wonderful, a very effective idea. So glad we did it. So it's been a little over a year. I just looked this morning on our host site and we've we've published 52 episodes and we've had 14,343 plays, which to me means I know there's bigger podcasts that have much bigger numbers. But that means that over 14,000 times, we've like had this conversation with a young person that can change the way they think about this. I just got chills. I mean, I, honestly, I'm thinking when you said that, I'm like, yeah, there's some that get that many listens for one episode, you know, right. in a day. Yeah. But that's a large group of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just, I'm just sitting here imagining sitting in a room with 14,000 people. Yeah. I mean, and it might be the same people like listening to all 52. So. Like, I don't know the number of people we've reached, but we've had that many contacts. Contacts. Yeah. 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 Like, and teaching them something more so they can move on. Like, it, that keeps me motivated too to realize, hey, we're already reaching this many young people and we just got started. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a need and it's resonating. So, congratulations, first of all. That's fantastic. And I love that you guys pivoted and and found a, a more effective way to reach more people. So that's what you do now. It's the podcast, basically. Yeah, I should say the name of the podcast. (laughs) So it's called, yeah, it's called Breaking the Silence. And you can find it on all the usual podcast apps, of course. And so we are really working hard to be a safe source for young adults within their value system of our audience. So they're primarily conservative, faith-based young adults, mostly members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from the feedback that we get. Mm And so that's our message. And we try to keep it like open and yet safe at the same time. Yeah. And at their level. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I'll just, I'll just put in a plug for breaking the silence. A couple nights ago, uh, Vana, you had me on with Creed and Chriselle, who are the hosts of the podcast, invited me on to talk about relapses. And it was such a nuanced and wonderful discussion that I can't wait to promote it and share it with my audience as well. I just felt like 
their level, I mean, they were asking questions and talking about things that I know when I was their age, I wasn't thinking about. And mm-hmm. certainly around these topics, that the sophistication and the interest and the willingness to really understand the impact on people, relationships was really refreshing. And it just gives me a lot of hope for, you know, what's going to be possible, you know, for families and communities with, mm-hmm. with this type of interest. And I just think it's fantastic. And it is totally the anti porn, right? <laughs> it just <laughs> like that kind of a thing just creates so much connection and so much to me, it just creates a lot of a lot of light. And I loved it. And so I I just uh, would encourage all my listeners to go check it out if you're looking for a great podcast. And I, I searched through some of the the episodes and they've got some great guests and there's some fantastic topics that you wouldn't think of. You know, they're mm-hmm. just some great, great angles and things that once you hear about them and, and read about them or listen to them, you're like, oh, yeah, I would have never thought about that, but I'm so glad I listened to that. That's great. You know, being around young adults for these years, and we've been around for about four years now, I I have gotten more of a feeling of what they're interested in, what their pain points are, you know? So, you know, there's the dating thing, like how do I talk to, to someone I'm dating, whether it's me and I have something to share about my history or my current experience with pornography, or how do I approach someone I'm dating to find out what their experience is so that I know where where they are, you know? There's a lot about like, again, not being able to reach out for help or tell anyone, being stuck in shame. Shame is a huge, okay, huge topic. For sure. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then like these feelings of like they've tried some things and it hasn't worked. So there's often a feeling of defeat or giving up. That's why we invited you to come on and talk about relapse. Like that gets so many young people stuck because they think they were supposed to be able to solve the all in one go. And they keep having challenges and then they think it's not working. So yeah, the discouragement and shame floods in and just seizes Mm -hmm. up the whole process. Another thing is that they really want people to know that girls struggle too. Yeah. And young women struggle too. I honestly think we're going to see a time coming in the near future where people like you, the therapists are working with young couples where both of them are working on recovery from some kind of sexual challenge. Yeah. I've already seen that in my office. Yeah. With the younger couples, especially because mm-hmm. I think so much of the pornography is is being targeted at everyone. It's not just a guy's problem. Right. You know, which I think is a myth. Yeah. And then we try and help them understand what recovery is. Yeah. Because there's a lot of like very myths and misunderstandings about what recovery is like that is just counting how many days you haven't looked at pornography, <laughs> that kind of mentality. And and we think that everybody in the story needs to understand what pornography is, Right. that, that it's learning healthy living for a lifetime. And there's a lot that goes into that. And, and we want them to get that help and yeah, and be patient with themselves and with their loved ones while they go through that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Because there's so much miseducation that you have mm-hmm. to undo. Yeah. Um, especially if the exposure started at a young age when you were forming ideas about yourself, about men, women, relationships, your sexuality, mm-hmm. spirituality, and there's just a lot to untangle there. Yeah. And then something I've noticed over the years is, and I'd really like to help young adults with this, is they do feel some bitterness or resentment at the way that they have been shamed, how they see it shamed in the past by parents or friends or church leaders and not being prepared by the adults in their lives to understand what healthy sexuality is and what pornography 
was and, and to be prepared to stay away from that. And I actually did a podcast with our host. So on our Breaking the Silence podcast, it is a platform for young adults. So I found some awesome young adults to be our host, Creed Orm and Chriselle Simons. So they're the voice. And But I got on for the first time and did an episode with them and talked about how to forgive your parents for being weird about sex and pornography. Because I've just heard this story over and over and over about how frustrated they are that their parents couldn't talk to them about that when they were growing up. But like, <laughs> like always being resentful of the past is just going to keep them stuck, right? Yeah. Like, let it go. It wasn't your fault. Now it's your responsibility. Like, you can take charge. It's never too late for a great sex education, but you're in charge of it now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think that, you know, I've had this conversation with my own parents and they're fantastic people. And they just sort of looked at me and said, like, we didn't have a lot of resources. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> or permission. Did the best we could. Yeah, yeah. There just wasn't, they're just like, it just was, you know, and they're just, they're like, yeah, take the ball and run with it. Like, we're so excited that, you know, mm-hmm. you and the people coming after you, your kids, our grandkids are, are finding better ways to address these things because we just didn't have the tools or resources. It was just, it was really, it was hard. And so I, I love that you address that. And that's what I'll go listen to. I didn't, uh, what episode number <laughs> is that? So my listeners can, do you remember? I can look it up. Yeah. Let's see. Well, that's, I think yeah. that's fantastic. And so was that, was that your first time coming on mm-hmm. <laughs> your own podcast? That's the only time. <laughs> it's episode 37. 37. How can you forgive your parents for being weird about sex and pornography? I love that title. I love the, 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 the topic. And so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so go check that out because I think that, you know, obviously there's a pain point there. So if you're listening to this podcast, friends, and you, you know, you have young adults, children or, you know, or your children are adults, older, and you're looking at yourself and going, yeah, I didn't really have the tools or resources, then yeah, it sounds like Vana, you and, and your team have a, have a great conversation for ways to, to kind of navigate through that so that you know, can right. unload some of the, maybe some of the loss and grief around that. Yeah. yeah I mean, I it can it. be time for just time to say, oh, I'm so sorry. We did the best we knew. Yeah. I can see now. I wish I'd done it better. Right. I'd love to do better in the future. Just caring you know, about Will it you at forgive all. me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What other pain points have you picked up on from meeting with these young people? So we actually had one of our our founding members, young adults. She was a student at BYU some years ago, and she did a survey in the BYU Wilkinson Center. If you know that, students are walking through all the time, and oh, yeah. she just asked the question, "What do you want to know about pornography?" And it was open ended; they could write down anything they wanted. Uh-huh. And she got like six or 800 answers. (laughs) And so here's just some of the questions like that represent like the big themes that young adults were asking. What does it do to your brain? How does pornography Uh affect your brain? How does it affect your sexuality? What's the best way to help a friend who's struggling with pornography? And what are the signs that someone is struggling with pornography? How does porn affect your relationships with others? And then, of course, how do I talk to someone about pornography? So hard to get that conversation started. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot that I've heard, especially from young men. And this is the question someone wrote. Why can't LDS girls be more understanding of past pornography addiction? And I heard this all the time. I still do. Like young men who feel like they're being thrown out or weeded out because of their history with pornography or their current state of like not being in 
like perfect recovery or whatever. Uh-huh. And just wanting to feel like they're still worthwhile, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. But, and I don't want to imply that I'm in full support of anyone making a decision about a relationship that isn't meeting their values as well, but that's there. <laughs> it is. Yeah. A lot about when is a problem with pornography considered an addiction. And you know, this is, you know, a big topic going on in the cause. Like, yeah, what is field. addiction? Yeah. And yeah. Debates this all the time. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then things about like, how do you get past it? What's, you know, how do you find recovery? And then what is pornography and where's the line? What, when does something begin to count as pornography? Like romance fiction and music and, you know, questions about other media that may not be traditionally considered pornography. Yeah. These are such, such sincere and good questions, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. They want, like, I just feel like they want to get a handle on this and help each other get over it and stop this from kind of being a label on their generation. <laughs> you know, that they're all struggling with this. And and that is my belief, actually, that like this thing that has seemed to just wrap chains around the young people could be a tool for transformation. Because when someone goes through the process of recovery and they learn that self-mastery, self-understanding and awareness of their environment and how to manage it, that is powerful work. Oh, and they yeah. come out stronger on the other side. If they could do that together, just think how powerful they would be. Exactly. And the together part, I, I love that. I, I've believed for years, just as I've been working so much with these issues in my own just practice as a therapist, that there's just a hidden treasure on the other side of this addiction mm-hmm. that people- Yeah, I love that. That people can't see, obviously, from where they are and, and when they're in the middle of it, especially betrayed spouses. But, you know, I just believe, I really believe this so strongly that, not that we need to compare people, but for sake of illustration here, you know, I would, you know, line up, you know, 10 people that have really done deep, deep, good recovery work versus 10 people who have never struggled with anything, at least honestly struggled with it or been open about it. <laughs> I'm telling you, those those 10 people, like most of those people to me would be so much safer to be in a relationship with. They'd be so much safer to like count on and trust, even though they've made mistakes, but they've really put in the time and done the work and really worked through that process. They're reinforced in a way that someone who maybe is not aware of their own blind spots or their own struggles wouldn't be. And I, and I just think that there's tremendous value in that. And so I agree. I think that I, and I love that you're trying to change the, the narrative around this that, oh, well, if you're dating a guy that's ever struggled with this, then you know he's damaged goods or she's damaged goods, and and you absolutely need to run for the hills and find someone who's perfect and untouched. And that's just, I mean, who gets you know who gets to be perfect and untouched? <laughs> but I, I love that there's ways to help people recognize somebody who has, you know who's in recovery, what that looks like, and what what you should be able to expect, and take the conversation beyond pass fail into a much more productive, nuanced conversation around, well, what kind of work are they doing? Mm-hmm. Where's their heart? What does that look like? What does that sound like? What does that feel like? What behavior should you be observing? What is it, you know, experientially in the relationship? I mean, there's so many other ways to measure this that never get really pieced out or teased out in these discussions, especially in when kids are in, you know, youth Sunday school classes or with their parents. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a tragedy because there are a lot of great people that can 
contribute and do so much in their families and communities that often just feel sidelined because they struggled once. Right. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah. And when we think about, so what can adults in their in the lives of young adults, whether it's parents, church leaders, other people who have relationships with young adults, like what can they do? And and so we're ta- we're all about talking, right? <laughs> so how can you talk to them, yeah. especially if you haven't had these comfortable conversation going on yet? And I've heard a lot from young adults that they can tell when someone is just listening and waiting for their chance to tell you something (laughs) and listening so that they can understand you. Right. Yeah. And so one of the thing, one of the things I'd love to see is for all of us to stop asking young people, when was the last time you saw pornography? And this has kind of been shared around as like a way to start a conversation. But if you think about it, that's actually kind of putting someone in a corner and how could they not be a little defensive with that and i and like i appreciate the intention behind it like hoping to get this conversation going but there could be some better ways to start a conversation for example just saying hey how did your parents talk to you about sex and pornography or if you are the parent like yeah, what were your thoughts about how we taught you about sex and pornography and just be prepared to listen to learn without any defensiveness mm-hmm. <laughs> that takes some it takes some work on our part as the grown-ups. Yep. Or what has it been like for you to grow up in this sexualized culture? And let them share with you how hard it's been with the internet, with social media, with advertising music, like just coming at them from all sides. Yeah. Like well, what could you learn from them? Right. What a great or how has Yeah. Or how has pornography affected you? Yeah, right? Like with a more sympathetic tone than like, okay, when's the last time you saw it? Is it been enough days? Like, you know. <laughs> right. I And I, you know, I've been guilty of asking that question and encouraging people to ask that question years ago. And and I think, you know, my thinking of it and, and as I'm thinking through how harmful that is, I think the original intent, and I, you know, I agree with you that I think people are trying to figure this out. I certainly have been over the years. I think the intent was, well, if we just normalize that, we believe everybody has probably looked at it right? Then we can sort of just create an opening and just say like, hey, I already know you've probably looked at it. So like, let's just, you know, but I also see how on the flip side, it's really kind of a leading question, right? It's Mm -hmm. full of assumptions and judgment. And, and like you said, there's only, it's almost like you can only answer it. And then it's like the conversation killer of the century. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's like, okay, I did it. Now what's my punishment, you know? Or, okay, now what do you think of me versus a more open-ended inviting question about caring about their experience, which I think is a better question. I love that. And I want to be sure that like all of us listening or talking on this conversation have made mistakes or done things, said things that we wish we could redo. Like we could have done better. And like none of us, like let's just let that go. We, none of us learned how to do this. We didn't get it modeled in our homes. We've all been trying to figure it out. Of course, we've been learning a lot of things the hard way. And so it's like, okay, I did the best I knew at the time. Now I do. Now I know better and I can do better. Yeah. I mean, we have to model for ourselves what we want for them, which is Mm -hmm. this permission that, yeah, mistakes are just part of learning and growing and we can all be in this together. And I think it's very healing. I know 
it's been that way for me when my parents, you know, I'm, I'm 46 years old. I mean, to have my parents come and acknowledge mistakes that they made or wish they could have done it better, it's very healing for me, even though I've got my own kids and, I'm, you know, I don't need them to do anything different for me. It's just nice to feel that as a human, that permission. And I, I try and extend that to my kids. And so I think just having a culture of permission for making mistakes and reducing shame and giving everybody permission to be human and work through stuff is one of the best gifts we can give each other. Yeah, specifically if if you're communicating with someone who is working on their recovery, then understanding that yeah. it's a windy road. It's not a straight shot to recovery. Yeah. Give them the space to figure it out and just love them along the whole way. Yep. Yep. And if you're in a relationship with that person, then that's that can feel like a little bit different conversation in terms of mm-hmm. you feeling like, well, how long do I hang on or how many chances do I give them or am I going to be safe? Well, there's, you know, There's going to be as many answers as there are people that ask that question, depending on their situation. And so, but I think overall, you know, Vaughn, I think, I think so much of what you're saying matters for people that are in recovery and they need to hear that for themselves, that even if there might Mm -hmm. be relationship changes or consequences that other people, you know, that change their life or that are, you Mm -hmm. know, necessarily unwanted, they still need to stay on that long and winding road and, and figure it out and not give up. Yeah. Yeah. It's possible to heal. Well, I would love to hear from your yeah. perspective too as a therapist, because some of the things I see with young adults is like, it's very hard for them to find access to qualified therapy, Yeah, like even to know where to go as well as like coming up with the funding I know. for that. And it's scary and like, they don't know what to expect. We actually did a podcast actually recently specifically on therapy, mm-hmm. hoping we could overcome some of that. But yeah, what do you think young adults need to like get them into therapy and get help? Well, I first of all, you know, I, I definitely think that, you know, as a as a generation, they're much more open to therapy than any previous generation. So I think there's already culturally more permission to seek out therapy and talk about therapy. And you've got, you know, people like Tiffany Rowe and others who are trying to destigmatize therapy and mental health issues. And so I think generationally that they're set up to take that risk and maybe walk forward into it with way more support than maybe a previous generations would have had. So I'm very encouraged about that, not only as a therapist, because I believe in therapy and find it very helpful for people, but I just want people to not have to suffer and feel like they have to do it on their own. So I think as far as resources, I, you know, with my own kids, you know, when, when I, when they've asked for therapy or they've asked to get some support for different issues in their lives for different reasons that run the whole gamut, the whole spectrum, my wife and I have worked really hard to make that easy on them. We've offered to pay for it. We've offered to supplement it, split it, you know, and if obviously if you have insurance, then then that may be a resource. Some people just don't have it or it's not covered. But I think church leaders and, and family members, you know, need to really understand the value of it. And if you find a qualified therapist who can be helpful, communicating with them, making sure you're getting, you know, your goals met and that it's it's really working and it's not just you know, being wasted, if you will, by being undirected or, or just mm-hmm. sort of vague. So I think that, you know, if you're a young person, like to, to have the, the courage to ask someone who might have more resources to help you finance it. I mean, obviously, as a therapist, I wish I could do this for free and give it away to everybody. But obviously, it's, it's a lot of work and it's, it takes a lot of training. And, and so it, it has to cost money. But I think that there are more resources out there than perhaps people realize if you'll just ask and have the courage, that's part of the opening up, being vulnerable. And I, you know, I would move heaven and earth to help 
you know, any of my kids or any family member, loved ones who, you know, who want to get that support, we'd figure out a way to make it work because I understand how valuable it is. So I think that's, that's a big piece of it that I think the resources are out there um, and people can get creative. Um, There's also a lot of therapists who run groups and there's also 12 step groups, which isn't therapy per se, but it is, it is free and it's, it's accessible. And there is a lot of support and resources through the stuff we're doing here, through podcasts and other educational resources that so many qualified therapists and other educators and experts have produced that actually can create and affect real change. And so I think that there's, you know, I do that. I try that all the time. I'm trying to create resources that replicate what I do in my therapy office, that I find myself saying a lot to people, putting those things out there. But having that experience of having one-on-one guidance or having somebody really work through that in terms of permission to overcome that barrier, there's the financial barrier, there's the the fear barrier, which is, I guess what I'm talking about right now, is, is really just recognizing that a therapist is probably going to be, especially somebody who's trained and qualified for these particular issues, will probably be one of the safest people you'll ever talk to about this. Mm-hmm. One, because yeah. they, they've worked with probably hundreds or thousands of cases just like yours, but they also are sworn to confidentiality they're generally very compassionate people, very understanding, non-judgmental. And I think you'll just find that it's a really safe and inviting place to do your work. And that's such a relief when other relationships can feel so risky. Well, if I tell my parents, it might change this. Or if I tell my friend, maybe they'll think I'm, you know. So in terms of reducing shame therapists, that's just what we do. We're trained to do that. We're designed for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, what we need to I could, I'll, I'll just pause there, Vaughn. I could talk about that forever because uh-huh. I really want people to, to know that there's resources, to know there's permission and to feel safe coming in. But does that answer yeah. your question? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And, you know, we reach out to young adults. So our audience is like we say 18 to 30 years old. Yeah. But both single and married young adults. Yes. So we're not just focusing on the single ones because a lot of young married couples still need totally. <laughs> to figure this out, right? But with the single young adults, I do hear that it seems like they have a harder time making progress in recovery, maybe because they don't have the motivation of losing a family or a spouse because of that. So do true. you have any thoughts on that? I know. I know that yeah. there's a blessing and a curse, if you will, for having a, you know, trying to repair a pornography problem or rebuild trust for a relationship. Because sometimes it can be like, are they doing this for themselves or are they doing this just to get out of jail? <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and a lot of betrayed spouses wonder this. And so it, sometimes it can, you know, it can, it can feel like it's hard to trust the real deeper intention and motive. So on the one hand, I, I definitely think that, you know, people that are single that work a recovery program, I mean, I have tremendous respect for everyone who comes in and, that I work with, but I'll tell you, the, the single people who have no other reason other than their own mental health, their own, you know, emotional well-being and their future relationships. I just have tremendous respect for that. And I think mm-hmm. that that's fantastic for them to do that. So what I would say to someone who is single and looking for a motivation or something to drive forward their recovery, a lot of this is going to be about getting honest first about the impact it's having on you right now and recognizing where it's affecting the way you think, the way you feel, the way you see yourself, your spirituality even your physical health. A lot of people stay up too late. They feel hungover. They feel, they feel the physical pressure of the shame and the depression and the anxiety. And so I think just in terms of personal wellness, 
doing a really honest assessment on a regular basis of how do you feel? How is it affecting you? And is this working for you anymore? I think when you make that decision that this isn't something that I want to do anymore, then I think real change starts to happen. I think of the book Intuitive Eating. Are you familiar with that? No, I haven't, but sounds like something I want to read. <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's it's research backed and it's probably one of the most effective methods for helping people to get out of diet culture and really maintain a healthy relationship with food. And what they teach is it's really based on rejecting external rules about food and messages about food. And I think when you're going to over... And so what they do is they teach you to tune in to what does your body feel when you eat these foods? Well, naturally, healthier foods are going to feel better than unhealthy foods, processed foods, junk foods, and then eating too much as well of anything is going to feel rotten. So what they teach is to trust your body's intuition about how it feels when you're taking food. And then it's a very mindful, slow, deliberate approach that's not you know, a 72-day challenge to knock out or to only eat these foods for this long, or which teaches you to not listen to your body. It just teaches you to follow a bunch of rules. So the intuitive eating is such an incredible approach for changing your relationship with food and your own body. I think there, you know, I would love to write a book or have someone write a book on how that can be the same for pornography about really tuning in and listening to how does this affect me right now when I consume mm. this? That would be great. And instead of just following a bunch of rules of don't look at porn and, you know, you shouldn't do this or married people don't do this or single people, but to really tune in because I think your spirit and your body and your emotions will give you a ton of feedback. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one thing. And I, and then the second thing is to visualize future relationships. And this is more of kind of a vision board type thing of what kind of a, you know, if you understand the impact and the messages that pornography has on your thinking and your emotions and your relationships, um, what kind of a relationship do you want to prepare yourself for? What kind of life do you want to live? I think that's a little harder to get to because it's more abstract. I prefer to keep people in the present and focus on the direct impact it's having today. Mm -hmm. But yeah. that can also be serve as a motivator. I know for me as a young person, thinking about my future family and the life I wanted was motivating and it did help me make choices. But I do think that there's immediate feedback available for all of us right now that can affect change. I think that's so important. Like, how will it help them right now? Yeah. Because they get a lot of messages about your future mm -hmm. spouse, you know, your future family, and it just seems so distant. Yeah. And they can even get in a space where they're like, yeah, well, I'm never going to be able to change. So I'm just going to not have the future family. And um, that motivation is gone anyway. So, you know. Definitely uh, double-edged sword. Yeah. I think it can be motivating to certain people and for others, it can be a total hammer and just really mm -hmm. beat them down. Yeah. And so that's why I didn't start with it because I don't, I don't think it's the place to start. Yeah. I think it can add on and support, but you know, take care of yourself. If thinking about that is depressing and discouraging, then don't do that. You don't need to have that be part of your, your motivation. Stay yeah. more in the present might be more helpful for you. I love those thoughts on that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a great question. And we definitely want, you know, all all people, but certainly young adults to, you know, who are not in relationships and don't seem to have any obvious motivation. We want them to have a way to get the gears moving and, and get to, you know, just move toward health. Because this is a health, I mean, it's a, it's a health problem. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so many levels. Yeah. And I feel like we can get in this mode of like, just being so frustrated with young adults who are involved in this and don't seem to be making the changes we think 
they want to, whether right. whether we're in a role as parents or church leaders or therapists even, <laughs> right? And I just keep reminding myself that these young people have been exploited yeah. by an industry that wants their attention and their money, and they're using the most effective way to get it, and it works really well. Absolutely. And like, let's direct our frustration and anger in the right direction. I you know, love what that. did we, what was our role? Did we let this happen to our kids yeah. as a whole? Right. You know? So, right. Absolutely. Let's, let's think of this as like they have been exploited and it's not all of their fault. Of course, there's choices along the way, but like there's, there's just a lot of help in redirecting, I think. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. And yeah, like, going back to the intuitive eating, that's one of their principles is understanding the effect that the environment is having on you and how mm. it's, it's not just you being a personal failure. Right. That you're exactly. up against something that a lot of smart people are, have been committed to, you know, taking you over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so. Yep, and it works. It does. Yeah. It does. I think yeah. that documentary that came out on Netflix about the social media, I can't remember the name of it. Social, social dilemma. dilemma. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I think it was in there where they just talked about that there are, you know, thousands of really smart engineers on the other side of your screen that mm-hmm. spend all their time trying to get you to stay on that screen longer. Yep. And exploiting I mean, every human vulnerability to do it. And so I, we have to take that seriously. You have to be a, a rebel. You have to be a cultural rebel uh-huh. and push back against uh-huh. this whole environment that we're all living in right now. Right. And so it, I think you're right. It does create a lot of, hopefully a lot of compassion and understanding for what our young people have grown up in. You know, mm-hmm. as we say, they're the digital natives. They, that's all they know. The internet, you know, for me, when I returned home from my two-year missionary service, it was 1995 and I didn't even know what an email address was. That had all happened when I was gone between 93 uh-huh. and 95. I went to BYU and when I left BYU, I didn't have have to have an email address. When I came back, they said, you have to have an email address now. And (laughs) so, (laughs) yeah. So for me, you know, I I understand what life was like before that. I was in my twenties and for these great young people, we have to understand that this affects the way they think and see the world and we can't be judgmental of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of our founding young people, he spoke at a conference on representing us once a few years ago. And part of it I thought was so great. I've kept track of it. And he said, and this is a quote, if you don't mind, I just quote what he said. Please, yeah. <laughs> he said, I've heard people say that they wish things could go back to the way they were before our society was infiltrated with pornography, when we didn't have to address this uncomfortable topic. But not me. I'm not going back. I don't want to go back. Because pornography is allowing us a space to rethink and reconstruct our basic assumptions of what relationships should look like. It's forcing us to change the way we look at things so that the things we look at change. And he would talk a lot about like the fact that they had this experience of pornography is forcing them to like do things like be prepared to talk to their children about pornography to think about what relationships really are, to really have vulnerable relationships where they talk about their deepest thoughts and feelings and actions. And, you know, it's kind of forcing them to grow. It goes back to that, like, this can be a transformative experience if they can go all the way through it. I love everything about that. I love that so much. That is so inspiring. 
And it matches what I've seen that for the people that are willing to embrace the struggle and work through it, like we've talked about. So yeah. And I think communicating that hope to young people, instead of just treating it like, oh my goodness, you've been coated with this awful sludge mm. and now you're just going to struggle for the rest of your life or you're so damaged. Yeah, right. Wow. What a, you know, what an unhelpful message. And I, I worry that that's been too pervasive. So I love what's coming out of your efforts and how this conversation is shifting to something so much more true and productive. So how can people get involved with what you're doing and, and learn more and become more involved in whether they're a young adult, whether they're in that age range that you guys target or a parent or grandparent, how can they get involved? Thanks for asking. And so our social media could really use some help, meaning some support. Like this topic of pornography is a hard one for people on social media to like publicly hit that like button or make a comment on, you know, because, and I understand why, but like, honestly, if we had some people just get on our reach 10 Instagram account and make some comments on our posts, that is something that really does make a difference. It's kind of a volunteer effort that you could do on your own time. Yeah. You know, another thing that could really help is help us connect with guests for our podcast and Therapists, of course, we try and keep it about a third of our guests, therapists and like BYU professors and other, you know, grownups who have something to say to help young adults. But we want like two thirds of it to be young adults because they need to hear from each other. I love that. And, and we know like the ones people we've talked to in our audience say, we really love to hear from other young adults. And so that can be scary, I know, but if you know any young person who is willing to share their story or even just their opinion, if they don't want to share their story, just get on and share their thoughts about, you know, these issues of pornography and healthy sexuality, like reach out to me and help us connect. And then of course, like anyone who's looking for a way to get involved in this cause, like we're always looking for people who have time, treasure, or talent to share. So, you know, you can get in touch with me. We always need people who can do copywriting, audio editing, social media support, administrative help. And of course, we are a nonprofit. And so we, we keep going on the generosity of donors who feel like this is an important way to help young adults and they want to help make it happen. So all of that are ways people can help us keep going. I love that. Yeah. So listeners, if you feel inclined, if you feel moved by what Vaughn is saying and you have time, treasure, or talent, I love that. I've never heard that before. <laughs> yeah, then reach out and I'll put your contact information in the show notes. The website That'd is awesome. easy to remember. It's reach10.org and it's the number 1010, right? Right. Okay. So reach10.org and listen to the podcast. There's videos, there's all kinds of resources on there and stories and you know, it's a very inspiring website and their social media is great too. And of course the podcast. And so, yeah, spread the word and get involved and lend a hand because I know in my listening audience, there's tremendous talent and there's resources and, and drive. You're listening to this because you care about these issues. And so I know that there's, there's a lot of need out there. So thank you, Vana, for giving us some specifics on how to be involved. Just as we wrap up here, any, any concluding thoughts about the work you're doing and the impact it's had on your life? You know what? I would love to share some words from young adults. <laughs> Even better. So, yeah, because we do 
apply for grants every year and that always requires some letters of support. So I always reach out to young adults and ask them, you know, how has this helped you? How's Reach 10 and our Breaking the Silence podcast helped you? And so here's some of the letters some young people wrote this year. And I'll just read a few thoughts from them. One of them is from a young woman. She said she first heard about us in a class at BYU. And she said, the mere mention of pornography used to make me uncomfortable. One thing Breaking the Silence podcast has helped me with is giving me words to use to talk about this sensitive topic. Pornography can negatively impact individuals and relationships, which is why I believe it's important to talk about. And she said, it's important to normalize the conversation so real change can happen and that this is an important resource that has helped her. Wow. And then a young man, one of them said, he's 22 years old. He found out about us at a booth at BYU, and he's someone who struggles. He shares his story about pornography and how he got involved. He said, the podcast helps me to feel like I'm part of a larger community of young adults my age that are going through similar challenges related to navigating sexuality, working daily for personal growth, recovery, and healing, as well as reaching out to those that are seeking help, either for themselves or for others. And then he shared a, an experience that in the last month, a friend had reached out to him to talk about the fact that her, her father was involved with pornography and it was like really affecting her and her family. And so he was able to share this, our Breaking the Silence podcast with her as a resource. And he just felt like, you know, glad that he had something to offer her to help. So, wow, that's so touching. And, Goodness. Yeah. And for wow. me, like, it just, my heart has grown. Like, I love young adults so much. They are amazing and powerful and doing such tough things in a tough world, getting tougher every day. <laughs> and yep. I just have full confidence in what they can do. And I really love seeing them network with each other and build their own tribe, their own support group, because that's how they're going to get through this. That's wonderful. And I know, Vana, you're, you're so good about not making this about you. I just really respect that about you <laughs> because you're, you're just such a good champion, a good advocate, and just such a great listener. I love that that's been your emphasis is really listening and we could all do better with that. I think adults, I know myself, we just are used to being the ones doing all the talking, but you're right. They're having experiences. And so that invitation and even just spending this time with you reminds me of, of how I just need to work harder to listen to my own kids and the young people I associate with because they're having a lot of things going on and there's, it's, compl it's complex and complicated for them. Yep. And our, our support and our wisdom, just our presence can be such a blessing to them. And you're giving them a voice and I love it. I just love it. So thank you for what you're doing and all the young people that have come forward and contributed. It's just super inspiring. Thank you for bringing this up and sharing all this and caring about young adults. Yeah. It's been great. So fantastic. I will put all the resources in the show notes. So please check it out. And Vana, you know, if you have other projects or other things that come up in your work with Reach 10 or, or whatever, please let me know. I will be having Creed and Chriselle on the podcast for the next episode. They're the hosts of Breaking the Silence and in the spirit of giving them a voice and giving them a chance to talk about their own experiences with this effort, I've invited them on to, to be my guests. And so I'm excited to interview them. And so you can, you can stay tuned for that episode coming up the next time. Thanks again, Vana. Thank you. You can connect with Vana and her organization, Reach 10, at reach10.org. And you can also find them on social media. 
and access their fantastic podcast, all the downloads they have available on their website, videos, blog, all kinds of great stuff on there. Just go around there, explore a little bit and see what you can find. There's a lot of great resources there and it will give you permission and tools and language for how to talk about these things more effectively with your loved ones, with your family members, your friends, no matter what their age is. But it's specifically geared toward people between the ages of 18 and 30 and it'll be a real gift to them if you can open up conversations and talk about these things and give them resources and give them permission and helps and supports for how to talk about these things and answer some of these complicated questions that Vana identified in our interview. Sure appreciate Vana and all the great gifts that she has in facilitating and open up these great conversations with young people. I uh, just am so thrilled that she started this and that there are these resources available. I've got kids in this age group and it's just awesome to see what's being done there. Once again, thank you for listening. I love being a part of your life. Hopefully this resource is a support to you and continue to give me feedback and support and ideas. I'd love to know what, what's helpful to you. I'd love to know what you want to hear about, any guests or topics that would really make a difference for you in your life. Please drop me a line. Happy to be here to be a resource and part of the solution. Look forward to connecting with you in the next episode of the Illuminate Podcast. Podcast.